0: You are listening to episode 362 on The Daily Grind. So as you know, I decided to rebuild my website using Wix. After years of frustration with just putting up with what I had, I decided to start with a blank slate and design my website the way I wanted it, and that's why I chose Wix. I was able to choose from over 500 amazing templates to get the exact feel and look that I was wanting. I was able to customize my site easily and add and move things where I wanted to ultimately optimize the experience for the visitor. The site has actually been completed for some time now. I'm just doing some final touch-ups and adding the 350 plus episodes, which as you can imagine, takes some time. But what would have costed me thousands of dollars and months of time I have completed super inexpensively in only a few short weeks. Furthermore, Wix is actually designed for any device, desktop and mobile, which as you can imagine, being in 2019 is super important and valuable. Along with it, the amazing SEO capabilities that Wix presents saves me a whole bunch of time and money. And SEO, as you know, when it comes to blogging, podcasts, video, is super important for growth and viewership. Ultimately, what I've learned is that building a website doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to cost thousands of dollars, and it doesn't have to waste a whole bunch of your time. It can actually be really cheap, inexpensive, and, and enjoyable using Wix. To get started with Wix yourself today for 15% off and build the site optimized for you and your business and your customers, go to wix.com forward slash podcast. Again, that is wix.com forward Forward slash podcast. Good morning and happy Monday, everyone. Welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Todd Saxton. Todd is the Associate Professor at Indiana Venture Faculty Fellow at IU Kelly School of Business. He is an award-winning professor of strategy and entrepreneurship. He also serves as the Vice President of Business Development for the regan strife Institute. Todd has advised, helped launch, and invested in hundreds of startups, spanning life sciences, software, sports, consumer products, and services. Todd serves on the board of multiple entrepreneurial ventures, including Vision Tech Angel Partners, the largest angel investing group in Indiana, and Diagnotes, a venture-funded health IT firm he helped found. He has published numerous books, chapters, and articles on corporate and startup strategies for success, and on today's episode, he shares his entrepreneurial journey with us. So everyone, be sure you have a pen, piece of paper, sit back, and dive deep in today's interview with Dr. Todd Saxton. Enjoy. Well, Todd Saxton, welcome to The Daily Grind. How are you today? I am well.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Colin. Appreciate being here.
0: Absolutely. We're all super excited, Todd. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, say for some listeners out there being first introduced to you, um, just speaking a little bit more of who you are and what it is that you do.
1: All right. So I am a professor at the IU Kelly School of Business. Uh, We're a a number of different hats uh, teaching a few different programs of ours, our evening MBA and our online number one ranked uh, Kelly uh, online MBA program uh, and also a program for physicians. It's a physician only MBA program. Uh, program, which is a very cool program teaching neat group of folks okay. uh, do, do research on corporate strategy and primarily actually the last ten years or so uh, Entrepreneurship and venture success. Uh, what are some of the things founders can do? Uh, to be more successful in raising money and launching their their venture and uh, starting to scale it uh, But I also do a lot in the venture community here uh, I've had the pleasure of being the president of the Venture Club of Indiana a few years ago Uh, helped start a chapter in Indiana of the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, and uh, recently have taken on the role with a uh, life science research uh, house here, not-for-profit, called Regenstrief Institute uh, as VP of Business Development, helping them think about commercializing their own intellectual property but also uh, working more with the venture community why I'm I'm here today? I guess uh, is uh, have a book coming out with my my wife and partner, uh, Kim Saxton, who I think you'll be speaking with later, uh, and then also Michael Cloran, a serial tech entrepreneur, called The Titanic Effect: Successfully Navigating the. On, Un... <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> can I can I rewind there a yeah, little bit? Yeah, you got to Rewind it. All right, thanks. Uh, the Titanic Effect: Successfully Navigating the Uncertainties That Sink Most Startups.
0: Hmm. What's a, in in a synopsis, like in a brief description? What's what's the book about? Like when people when people grab a copy of this, what do you want them to take from it?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks. It's there are a lot of books on startups out there, right? And a lot that yeah. either kind of romanticize or glamorize the the kind of entrepreneurial journey. Uh, and certainly, there are many aspects that are very rewarding, very fun. Um, but there are also a, a lot of uh, sunken ships out there. Uh, startups that are not successful and uh, as opposed to kind of a how-to and here's the model to use to be successful uh, we've kind of noticed over now 15-20 years of helping our students helping our alums working with ventures uh, starting a couple companies and then also as angel investors we see these kind of systematic patterns that founders make early on that end up coming back to kind of haunt them and, and sink their startups or at least limit their success. Uh, so that was kind of our starting premise is that there are these things kind of below the surface that entrepreneurs aren't really aware of in early decision making with their startups uh, that they, they need to have better better recognition of uh, so that those things don't come back. Those, as we call them, hidden debts or debtbergs uh, come back and limit their success later.
0: I think that's super valuable to look at why people are failing as opposed to trying to like create the blueprint because I think there's – so many different ways to get from point A to point B. But I think there's probably a lot of similarities, as you pointed out, and why people are failing. Um, there's a lot of people here, Todd, who may be in that stage of startup mode. What are one or two you know, real important things um, or things that you've seen people do wrong that can help someone who's early on in that stage?
1: Well, so you mentioned uh, lots of ways to get from point A to point B, and and that's actually a great kind of setup for the whole theme of our book, which is navigating uncertainty. Yeah, and that the startup journey is always about uh, is is about essentially navigating uncertainty across these different domains. You have the people that you work with, what we call the human ocean, uh, that that technology itself, the product platform or the technical ocean, how you communicate with customers, how you uh, establish differentiation against competitors in the marketing ocean, and then the strategy ocean, which kind of underlies all of them. And recognizing from the beginning that this systematic navigation is going to, you are making these decisions under uncertainty that are going to cause unintended consequences. Mm. Uh, We call them hidden debts. And recognizing that these unintended consequences need to be uh, become uh, not necessarily intentional, but at least uh, recognized and managed uh, as you move forward. Um, Colin, you and a lot of your audience are, are probably familiar with the term technical debt. Okay. Yep. So technical debt is, you, you know, when you're building software particularly, but you take some shortcuts to kind of launch. Uh, and our, our co-author, Michael Klorin, is an expert in these technical debts as a tech entrepreneur, but mm-hmm. also uh, runs a group called Developer Town that, that helps both large companies and small manage these technical debts. Uh, as folks more grounded in my case in strategy and entrepreneurship and in Kim's case in marketing, we see the same kind of challenges or, or problems that entrepreneurs have to navigate uh, in other arenas like the marketing ocean. So uh, the notion of, of pivoting with the lean startup has become uh, very, very powerful. Um, but also raises some issues, right? Every time you pivot and you've started to signal a message or a value proposition to the marketplace and you change direction, uh, you have to go back and re-educate. So you've essentially created yes. some hidden debt for yourself uh, in, in making those decisions. Uh, and, and a lot of that just didn't seem to be on the radar uh, of a lot of the founders that we we work with and
0: support. So you're finding that a lot of them have like at the beginning stages, they have a vision and they're they're unable to make that pivot?
1: Well, th- there are actually two different categories, right? Okay. So one is they're so passionate, they're so determined. Uh, it's interesting, I, I was just listening to your podcast on identity versus passion. Mm-hmm. And entrepreneurs who are passionate about their ventures often get their own identity kind of wrapped up in it. Yes. Uh, so changing direction to them feels like they are... Um, uh, making some kind of self-sacrifice, yeah. or 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 they're just not able to kind of get their heads around what they need to do to move in a new direction. So that's actually, one kind of uh, iceberg, right, or hidden hidden debtberg, is. Uh, this being overly passionate about something to the point where you're not really coachable and you're not listening to feedback from the market. Um, the other end of the spectrum, though, is is what we sometimes call the pinball entrepreneur. That every time they get a little feedback, they move in a different direction. Mm, and of course, entrepreneurship to some degree is a daily grind, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you've got to be just you know plugging uh, through some of these challenges that arise. And if every time you you hit a little obstacle, you move in a new direction you never really are, are systematically experimenting and learning, uh, and you're unlikely to be successful uh, in, in that kind of sense as well. So I would say there are two different ends of the spectrum and two different types of debt burgs that uh, that arise as a result of that. How
0: do you find people can can balance that? Like balance, because you do need a, a deep passion for what you're doing, but at the same time, you need to be flexible enough to move. So, I mean, it seems like People typically are on one end of the spectrum. How do you find that balance? Is that something that that is worked on? Uh, Yes, and I I think this is
1: probably where both the role of co-founders and the advisors that you surround yourself with become particularly important, Mm. that over time – uh, you need to build both a diverse team internally, but also a diverse set of relationships with folks who you know and trust, but also are willing to tell you no. Aren't aren't just you know yes men, yes women yes. Uh, who are always uh, saying, "Out good job." So uh, I'll tell you kind of the two biggest indicators that I see with entrepreneurs, and and we in the Midwest, you know, we're we're here in Indiana. Uh, people are very kind, very generous. Uh, and sometimes avoid conflict. I grew up in New Jersey, conflict was kind of part of <laughs> part of my upbringing, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so I don't, I, I don't have uh, a problem with conflict and, and actually good innovation often requires some conflict. Well, I'll, I'll not infrequently run across entrepreneurs who say everybody loves this idea. Uh, the, you know, the, the customers love it, uh, you know, the advisors and investors I talk to, so I say, well, do you have a check, right? Or even a, a, a signed letter of intent, that a customer is willing and what often happens with these entrepreneurs who just hear the positive feedback because they're so passionate is that in the, the kind of face of this kind of growing body of evidence that investors aren't writing a check, customers aren't committing to buy the product, uh, that that there's got to be something wrong. So. Uh, that's really where the the disconnect manifests between an entrepreneur that is so passionate they're not really coachable, is that they're unable to move forward because no one's buying and no one's uh, investing in their idea.
0: Yes. So being an angel investor that you are, spending years in business, startups, seeing success, like as an investor, when you go in and someone approaches you, ask us, for, like, what are you specifically looking for when it comes to that business? Yeah, so it, it, you
1: may be familiar, and a lot of uh, investors use the term. I'd rather invest in an A team and a B product. Yeah. Uh, than an A product and a B team, and the the kind of reasoning behind that is actually very consistent with this navigating uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I want to see a team that is systematically experimenting, maybe learning, maybe failing, but then moving in a new direction with an intentional plan. Uh, So I'm, I'm looking for a team that, yes, is passionate and committed to the idea that they're working on, but also shows evidence that they can continue to navigate uncertainty, you know, even at the stage when outside investors uh, typically, institutional investors might come in when you're starting to get some market traction, right? And you're you're investing in scaling or growing the the business. Yeah. There's still a lot of uncertainty to be navigated, so uh, you're looking for a team that is going to be able to, uh, again, systematically kind of recognize where that next sources of uncertainty is going to come from and and navigate around it. That
0: makes Obviously, sense. I'd like yeah. to see
1: a, a, a product that, and and a market that has substantial potential, et cetera. But you know, it's kind of focusing on on the team piece there. The, the other thing, which is really more of a personal, uh, I guess, uh, objective okay. uh, for for us for Kim and I, is that. You know, we're, we're interested in investing in things that's going to sound trite, but, but kind of help make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities out there to invest in things that look scalable and look profitable and, you know, use social media or the latest marketing uh, kind of gadget to, to, to drive sales and make it easier to sell sneakers. Uh, and, and they may be very successful, um, but that is of less interest to us. Uh, we we realize that our, our early stage investments and in money is at considerable risk <laughs> so we, we'd rather see it put into things yeah. that we think are, if they are successful are actually going to uh, do good for uh,
0: for our area or or customers and and solve a real problem what wanted you to start investing in businesses like this because i know a lot of people they'll put their money in primarily say stocks and real estate because those are Um, statistically the most proven to succeed over time for you and you may do that as well but like why why is it so important for the two of you um, to be investing in businesses sure
1: and and it's not a not an either or right i would i would certainly recommend anybody that gets into the early stage investing game first of all recognize that in all likelihood you will lose your investment uh 70 percent uh chance or or more uh now if you read the Titanic effect and and hopefully have a better sense of some of the, uh, hidden debt burgs that the ventures you're looking at might be running into. Uh, hopefully those odds go up a little bit. That's part of the intent yeah. of the book. Um, but I, I, think for us really, it's been a, a kind of a, a staged process of first Teaching entrepreneurship, uh, and and then feeling to do that effectively, and and doing the research I was doing in entrepreneurship, I had to get a little closer uh, to that community, right? Just being uh, off the coast, looking uh, through binoculars at this little entrepreneurial playground, and trying to draw. Uh, assumptions or or, uh, draw learnings uh, for my students and for my research Uh, felt like I had to get a little more personally invested so that's when I started going to the Venture Club and formed a class around that uh, and then subsequently helped start a couple companies and that gave me a much deeper uh, kind of understanding of the entrepreneurial journey and and some of these challenges that entrepreneurs face from that, it was kind of a logical extension when we reached a certain point in our lives where we had done the investing in the stock market and real estate. And, yeah. um, it kind of felt like, we, you know, without taking the money from our kid's college fund, uh, that we had a little bit of money, you know, maybe five to 10 percent of our, our portfolio uh, that we could put at risk, uh, but also that that would be a learning experience for us. Uh, in terms of what angel investors think about, how they approach these decisions. It also gives us the opportunity, you know, when, when you put money into an index fund, you can't exactly call up uh, Coca-Cola or IBM and say, hey, you guys need some help with, or hey, I don't like the direction you're going. Yeah. Uh, you invest local with, with startups, you have the opportunity, for, for better and for worse, uh, to actually influence the likelihood of success and, and work directly with them. Uh, So kind of like buying local food or -hmm. or beverages and and going to locally owned restaurants, investing in companies in your own backyard can be a very powerful way to get attached to uh, the venture community and, and support the business community and hopefully eventually create jobs and and wealth locally as well.
0: 100% hundred percent so I mean for you you do all these things you're a professor you invest in businesses you speak on on entrepreneurship you have this book coming out obviously one thing you and your wife do very well is is manage time um for people listening like what are some let's let's break down your day what are some things you do in the morning which help you with time management to ensure that you get things done that you need to get done throughout the day
1: it is a great question and, and actually a constant challenge. I wish mm-hmm. I could share with your audience kind of the, the silver bullet. Uh, I think it's really important to protect some windows uh, where you're actually away from social media and even email. So one of the things I try and do is is systematically put in blocks of time where I actually you know go offline, if you will, yeah, just to get some work done. And uh, I find being disciplined about that is really important. Uh, I kind of I, I approach it a little like endurance training in terms of your your blocks of time and your kind of microcycles as well as your meta cycles. That okay. over the whole year or longer period of time, your relative influence is going to shift. For me, it's somewhat artificially created by the, the semester cycle that I have. This cadence of classes starting and then maintenance mode and then classes ending and grading. Uh, and those, there are periods in there that are much more intense on the teaching front. And during those periods, I have to shift some of my attention away from some of my research activities and, and engagement with the venture community and some of my other activities. Uh, that creates kind of pockets where I have more capacity, like during the summer, for example, uh, to engage in in some of these other activities. Yeah. Uh, so I think thinking about not just your day or your week, but also your month and your year and what your relative emphasis is going to be uh, across those periods of time uh, is really important.
0: Yeah, and I love that you mentioned sort of pockets because for the last, I want to say almost year now, um, I'll preface this where I used to always be on my phone. <laughs> I feel like my phone yeah. just like ran my life. I, I would get dings and be emails and text messages. And one day my girlfriend's like, just, you got to put away your phone. Like it's, it's driving me nuts. So what I did is just, I just took my email completely off my phone and that completely opened things up for me. Because um, yeah. now I only go and check email when I'm on my computer, which is only a few times a day because uh, I don't like to be in front of my screen so much, but it, it's, it's amazing what it does when you do block those times off um, and then use your technology to your advantage to help you do that. Absolutely. And
1: it's it is interesting. There are very few emails that I get, you get on a regular basis where a response is needed yeah. within five minutes or 10 minutes, let alone even in an hour. Uh, so if you can, again, just kind of let that go, because otherwise, it, every time on the middle of something, it takes a little more intentional thought and, and energy and an email pops up or something comes in. I just get distracted 100%. and it's really hard
0: to to kind of regain my focus. So. Todd, for you, say you could go back in time, um, maybe, I don't want to say too far back, maybe like 15, 20 years and not necessarily change anything, but, you know, sit down with your younger self and and offer yourself a piece of advice or piece of guidance. I'm wondering for you what that would be.
1: Oh, it's a great question. Um, I, you know, my, my initial thoughts on this are, come across, I think, as a, a little bit trite, which is, you know, kind of. Um, encouraging myself to fail more. Um, I, I was never one of those people that that failure was just you know I had tremendous anxiety over failing. So mm-hmm. uh, being willing to fail was 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 not something that was a problem for me. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I think I sometimes would hold on to negative energy that resulted from that failure way too long, and I still struggle with this. Uh, but I think that's something I wish I had worked on earlier in my life is that, you know, yes, don't be afraid to fail. And, and I, I think we all are getting that message uh, resoundingly. Um, but I think the consequences of that failure are often this negative baggage in terms of either personal relationships or associations. Uh, and. I think if you're going to kind of move in a positive direction and and keep on grinding in a way that's going to be successful, you need to move beyond the failure, but also let go of that uh, kind of negative uh, energy uh, around that failure and and
0: move forward in a positive direction. Yeah, I love that. Um, Todd, for people out there who want to grab a copy, when does the book come out?
1: Uh, it's officially released on June 11th. In terms of bookstores and the physical copy, the ebook is already available. Uh, we have a website at TitanicEffect.com, but also a, a special landing page if you're interested in something related to uh, special offering for the Daily Grind followers. Awesome, and that's at TitanicEffect.com backslash Daily
0: Grind Todd T-O-D-D. Amazing, well I will share all these links. Todd, where's the best place people can follow along on your journey, connect with you directly? Probably LinkedIn, I am most
1: active on that, although I do turn LinkedIn off at various times during the day, (laughs) but uh, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn, love to hear what questions, thoughts you have, and if you're able to uh, follow some of the, the book material, and the website has some blogs that we've written with pieces of content, and I'd really appreciate getting any feedback you have uh, anecdotes, uh, that you can share
0: so that we can all learn as a community and, and get better. Amazing. Well, uh, follow along on Todd's journey on LinkedIn. I'll share the website link where you can grab a copy of the book. Um, and I'll also share it all on my social media on the day of the release of this podcast to make it super simple for everyone. And now Todd, the way we end the show here on the daily grind is I'm going to give you the floor and you have the opportunity today to share with our audience, the thought of the day. So one thing or one thought that we can all go home with today.
1: Oh, I've got a few running through my head, but I'm gonna say keep on navigating, right? Uh, Never never stop recognizing that life is a journey and you're always navigating, and uh, hopefully it's a positive one, Uh,
0: but keep on navigating, whether it's a startup or your personal life. Amazing, and as you can see from this interview, everyone's success is driven by passion, hunger, and today, keeping on navigating everyone has to overcome obstacles everyone has a story start building yours today today we had the chance to speak with the amazing todd saxton todd i want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and coming on the show here with us today
1: Thank you, Colin. This is a great opportunity and I wish you luck in the, your tournament and fundraiser tomorrow. <laughs> it sounds like a great event.
0: I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. And everyone, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast, drop us a comment, let us know what you liked. Also share this out with your friends until next time, Colin Morgan signing off and always remember to keep on grinding. Yeah.